Welcome to the Social Dallas Podcast. Today you will hear an uplifting message from our pastor, Robert Madu. Our hope is that you would not only feel inspired, but that your relationship with God would flourish like never before. Here's Pastor Robert Madu. Uh, stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word tonight. We've been in a series that I am concluding tonight, and the series is called, They Are Yes, they are us, and we will conclude. Oh, hello, somebody, the glory. See, I need. You like pre-opened water. I've been in a series called They Are Us, and I'm going to conclude this series uh, tonight. It's been so, so good, and I encourage you, if you have not, been keeping along with the series, you can go to Social Dallas's YouTube page and watch all of the messages on there. It's just been phenomenal. How many have been blessed by this series? Anybody been blessed by it? It's blessed me. It's blessed me. We've gotten, we've gotten songs out of this series. I released a song. I don't know if you heard it. Uh, it's called You Can't Be Bougie and Get a ba- Breakthrough. Powerful, powerful song. Not on, not on, not on iTunes yet. Uh, still working on some uh, copyright things, but it's really, really good. <laughs> It's been an awesome series, and uh, we're going to end it tonight. And I want you to go with me to John chapter 1. I have to warn you, I hope you got some comfortable shoes. I hope you got some comfortable shoes, because we're going to read a lot of Scripture, okay? A lot of Scripture. Are you cool with that? John chapter 1. We'll start at verse number 14 to conclude our series, They Are Us. And look at what it says. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. <laughs> they are us. Come on, that scripture's too good. Let's read it in another version. Let me give you one more. It says, so the word became human and made his home among us. I want to conclude this series, They Are Us, by talking about the greatest us of all, Jesus, the unseen Savior. Jesus, the unseen Savior. Somebody say that name. Jesus. The unseen Savior. Father, thank you for your word tonight. Speak to our hearts. Let us leave different than the way that we came in. Amen. Social fam, in complete transparency, I decided to conclude the They Are Us series by talking about G's Us under the belief that you got to save the best for last. And who better than G's Us to conclude the series? Upon further reflection, I realized that I not only am saving the best for last, but I'm also saving the most difficult for last. Oh yes, tonight I am delving into deep, daunting waters to try to articulate the power, the sufficiency, the supremacy of G's. It's a hard one. It's a hard one tonight because we've talked about Lazarus. If you remember the sermon, Lazarus, that was easy. I told you because Lazarus never said anything in the Bible. You cannot quote Lazarus. He taught us the power of the unspoken sermon, that some people could actually do more for the kingdom of God if they would shut up 
Amen. Just show people that you've gone from death to life to freedom. From death to life to freedom. If you would just show people that Jesus has taken you from death to life for freedom, I'm telling you, your unspoken sermon would speak louder than any word you could ever say. Talked about him, but you know, Lazarus doesn't have that many scriptures in the Bible and he never says anything. Then you got Nicodemus. Nicodemus. He, he taught us, oh, the power of uncertainty secret. Yeah, what you don't know about what you don't know. Nicodemus' biggest problem was that he knew too much. He rose up on Jesus at night, Nick at night, and he says, hey, Jesus, we know. First words out of his mouth to Jesus, we know. And Jesus is like, no, you don't know, and that's your problem. Because your whole life, you've been operating not out of relationship, but out of religion. And religion is always trying to try harder. Jesus says, this is not religion. This is relationship. So you got to start over. You must be born again. He taught us uncertainty secret. And then, ooh, last week, what up, Zach? <laughs> Talked about Zacchaeus. That wee little man and a wee little man was he. And Zacchaeus is only mentioned in the Gospel of Luke and you only get his story in the brevity of 10 verses. But tonight, I have the task of talking about Jesus. And how in the world do you preach about Jesus in 45 minutes? And some of y'all sit up there looking at me like, uh, you're a preacher. Ain't that what you're supposed to do? Ain't the whole Bible about Jesus? Exactly. That is the problem. That this entire book is about Jesus. This whole book from Genesis all the way to the maps in the back is about one person and his name is Jesus. Every chapter, every paragraph, every parable, every sentence, every piece of vocabulary contained in this book is about one person. His name is Jesus. 66 books, 1,189 chapters, 31,102 verses are all centered on one person who was God in the flesh, of one person who had all power in his hand, of one person who was omnipotent, who's omniscient, who sits on that circle of heaven and has power in his hand. Jesus! The whole book is about him, so like, where do you start? Where do you, like, this is what I was doing all this week. Trying to figure out what part of the Bible do I talk about because every part is talking about him. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, please don't get it twisted. This whole book is about one person. He is the centerpiece. It is all about Jesus. I was thinking about this. Jesus is the only person, don't miss this, whose narcissism is necessary. Like you can be self-centered when you're the way, the truth, and the life. When you read this book, it is all about him, and it has to be. Even in the Old Testament, you find that he's in every single page. He's in every part of this book. By the way, I think it's important that you read the Bible. I think it's important. If you want to grow into what God has for you, you ought to read this book. You ought to read it with everything that you have. Consume this book. When it comes to the Bible, consumption is huge. Consume it. What the late Eugene Peterson said, eat this book. You must have consumption when it comes to the Bible. But not just consumption. How many of you know you also need comprehension? Don't just be consuming it and you don't know what you're reading. You ought to seek to comprehend what you're reading. And in order to have comprehension, you must keep this book in context. Oh, you got to keep it in context to have comprehension. How many of you know, you can make the Bible say anything if you take it out of context. 
I'm never impressed by people who just throw a scripture out and say, well, the Bible says. Because you can make the Bible say anything. You could have rolled up before you came in here tonight and been like, well, he said in Genesis, every tree was good. You can make the Bible say anything you want. So don't just have consumption. Don't just have comprehension. And don't just have comprehension. You must keep it in context. But beyond context, please don't miss this. You got to know who the characters are. More so know who you are in the story, especially the Old Testament. See, narcissism is real. Because if you're not careful, you'll read the story and you will put yourself in a place in the story that you were never meant to be. Make sure you know who the characters are in the Bible. Like, you know David and Goliath? Come on, whether you're super saved and floated in here, whether you ain't never been to church, you know David and Goliath. Like, you read that story, and I'm wondering if you know who you are in that story of David and Goliath. Because you know you're not the giant. Okay, you know you're not Goliath. But you read David and Goliath, and you're like, oh, you know what? I've been having some giants I need to knock down. And you know, I do slay. I do slay. I got a t-shirt from Target. <laughs> and, and I don't want to insult your intelligence, and, and, I, and I know you slay, but that's not really who you are in the story. That's not you. Like, who? You know who you are? Do you remember the scared Israelite army that was on the side who for 40 days Goliath kept taunting them? For 40 days he kept calling them out and they were like, yo, no, you go, you go, you go, no, you go. And they were paralyzed by fear. You know the whole group of scared Israelites? They are Oh, they are us. We were scared. That is who you are in the story. You are the scared Israelites. They are us. Because that's what sin is. Sin was the Goliath that taunted humanity and kept us paralyzed in fear. Nobody could take sin down. But here comes Jesus, the great shepherd. Here comes Jesus. And he didn't get five smooth stones to knock down sin. But they did hung him high on a cross. And they pierced him five times, once in his right arm, and in his left arm, and in his left foot, and in his right foot, and in his side. And when they pierced him on that cross, how many are thankful that his blood is what knocked down the giant of sin so that you could get the victory? The Israelite army didn't throw the slingshot. David did, and they got the victory. You didn't have to go to the cross. Jesus did, but you got the victory. You don't know who you are in the story. You remember Moses? You saw the movie? You look at the story of Moses, and you see him lift up his staff, and he splits the Red Sea. So you start reading Moses, like, you know what? You know, I've been trying to make some waves. Yeah, that's me, that's me. I'm sorry. That's not who you are in the story. You, you know the scared Israelites that have been in slavery for over 400 years, been in complete bondage, going through the same thing day after day, completely oppressed, and got all the way to the Red Sea when they thought they had freedom. Then all of a sudden, Pharaoh starts chasing them again. Come on, am I the only one? Have you ever experienced some semblance of freedom only to have the enemy come right back again and bring back your past right when you thought you were on the edge of your breakthrough? But 
thank God for Jesus. Jesus is the one. He didn't lift up a wooden staff, but he was lifted up on a wooden cross. And when he got on that cross and got up from the grave, how many are thankful it is the resurrection and the cross that made a pathway for you to take you out of slavery into sonship so you can be a child of God? If you ain't shouting, you don't know who you are in the story. Yeah, you remember Joseph? Not, not Mary's fiance, the, the other Joseph who had the dream. You, you know, you read Joseph's story, you're like, oh, you know what? I got big dreams. That's <laughs> not who you are in the story. You remember his brothers? His brothers that sold him out? His brothers that, ooh, got mad because he said, y'all going to bow before me one day? That's generally human's reaction when they have to bow down. It's like, how dare you tell me I got to bow? This is why some people don't come to Jesus, because they like the idea of Jesus as Savior, but not as Lord. So it's like, Lord, you can save me when I get in a dysfunctional relationship and I want out. But I want you to be my Lord. I'm not like going to pray and seek you as to whether he the one. Lord, he fine. He the one. I'm just going to do what I want to do. Because we like him as Savior, but not as Lord. And they got mad. They sold their own brother into slavery. And the same brother they sold into slavery ends up going from a pit to a prison to a palace. And ultimately redeeming the very ones who rejected him. And was able to say, it's cool. I ain't going to hold it against you. Essentially, Father, forgive them. They didn't know what they were doing. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Do you know who you are in the story? You're not Joseph. We are the brothers who rejected the same Savior who redeemed us. And it's so interesting when you read the Bible and understand what this story is really about. This entire book is a rescue mission. It is a, it is a story of redemption. This is all God has been trying to do all throughout humanity. He's just been trying to, he's been trying to redeem. He's been trying to rescue. It's a book of redemption, not perfection. You only get perfection in Genesis 1 and 2. After 3, everything's get jacked up. And from Genesis 3 on, it's simply Jesus trying to reach out to bring redemption. Let me, let me bring the Bible to the Granada Theater. It's kind of like, can you imagine if before you came in here tonight, uh, somebody told you, don't sit down, gave you that commandment. Do not sit down in the seat. If you sit down in that seat tonight, you're going to get stuck. You won't be able to get out. And so you came in here and you started worshiping. You were standing here like, please don't tell me what to do. I can worship. And then you go ahead and sit down. And now you're sitting and you're stuck. And you can't get up. And imagine if I was the only one that had the power to get you unstuck. And now you're sitting in the seat stuck in a situation that you got yourself in but can't get yourself out. And I'm sitting up here trying to get you unstuck. But, but this stage is tall. <laughs> and there's a chasm, there's a space between me and you. And I want to get you unstuck. But I, I, hold up, I'll be right back. I'm gonna help y'all because you can't get up. Don't worry. Don't you worry. I'm gonna be right back. Hold up. I'm, I'm coming.
I'm coming. I promise I'm coming. Y'all good? I told you I'd come for you. How awkward was it while I was gone? Can you see me? You don't know where I'm at? Oh, I love it. I love that you can see me. Some of y'all still don't know where I am. You can hear me though. See, whew, even in the awkward moment of silence, how many you know I was still around? See, even when we were rehearsing this, they said, uh, Pastor Robert, do you want us to play some music? Like in between, it might be awkward. I said, don't play nothing. <laughs> I said, because I want them to sit in the awkward silence. And I want them to know what God wants them to know. That you should never mistake his silence for his absence. That even when you can't hear him, even when you can't see him, you've got to know that he is still there. I don't care what the enemy is telling you. Do not mistake God's silence for his absence. Do not mistake his hiddenness for his impotence. He's still got power even when you can't see him, even when you don't feel him. He's still there. Look at y'all. Some of y'all still don't see where I'm at, but I bet you hear my voice. And I'm telling you, God said, if you can even hear my voice in a dark place, that's all you need Woo! let there be light I'm up here I'm up here and what they don't even realize is that I just preached to you the entire Bible that's the Bible what I just did as extra as it was That's your Bible. Because you understand, all those aforementioned characters, Moses and David, all of them were just shadows of which Christ was the reality. They gave us pictures, previews of a coming attraction. They were not the fullness of our salvation, but they were just a shadow of what Jesus was going to do when he showed up on the scene. All I gave you right there was from Genesis to Malachi, and then there was 400 years of awkward walk around the Granada Theater silence and wait to get in place. Because one day in Bethlehem, the Word became flesh. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And Jesus sat where we sat. Ooh. He felt what we felt. How many are thankful for a God who understood, I cannot redeem them from heaven. I've got to come to where they are. I can't bring redemption from a stage. I have got to come around time and eternity and step onto earth and sit where people sit and feel what humanity feels. Thank God for a Savior who is us. He had to become us to redeem us. 
He had to sit where we sat. It's crazy. We've been meeting this Granada Theater for years. I have never been in a service where I sat in the balcony. I didn't know this is what the stage looks like from here. Give me a little bit of light in the house. I didn't know this is what it looks like. I've never had this point of view because I've never sat where you sat. This is not just a principle of our Savior. This is a principle of life. Don't try to bring healing to a place that you've never taken the time to sit in and feel what somebody feels. Oh, help me preach. You cannot heal what you don't first feel. You gotta feel it first. You gotta sit where people sit and see what they see and feel what they feel. If you're gonna be, bring healing, you gotta feel it first. You can't heal what you don't feel first. If Jesus had to do it, you know you got to do it. That's why every time I preach a message, every time I preach a message, I don't just think about what I'm saying. I think about what you're going to think about what I'm saying. Because I have to feel it. I've got to feel what you're walking in here with. Even when I'm studying, I keep my head in theology books, but I can't just come up here and extrapolate the complexities of a biblical composition. Because some of you are like, I don't care about the Greek and the Hebrew. I just lost my job, and I feel like I'm about to lose my mind. So I'm just wondering if this way-making, miracle-working God is still able to do something. i got to feel what you feel. You can't bring healing to a place that you haven't sat in first. Ooh, I wish we had more people in the earth that would sit where people sit and feel what people feel. Oh, this is good. This is deeper than the incarnation of our God who became us to redeem us. This is a principle that will revolutionize your life. When was the last time that you sat where somebody else has sat before? When was the last time? Woo! I'm sorry, I'm breaking all kinds of COVID-19 stuff. Y'all forgive me. When was the last time you just sat in a place to feel what it was like to be different in the room. You know, some people have never sat in a space where they were the only person of that culture or that race. Have you ever done? Oh, it'll bless your life. You ought to try it. You just need to see what it feels like. I love helping my friends with this social experiment because I have so many different friends. I love like taking my white friends to like a Grambling Prairie View game. And just let them feel it like, wow, they're, they're lively, aren't they? That's good for you to feel. Just feel what it's like. Feel what it's like. I'm coming for my people too. I love to take like my black friends to the whitest youth conference in the world. All they know is black church with an organ, and there they are, just jamming with a bunch of teenagers. All they don't got Axe body spray on, just jumping up and down. Come on! We love you, Jesus! They need to feel it! Have you ever felt it? I'm telling you to change your perspective. You won't be so arrogant. You'll put less comments on other people's page. When you sin, and you feel. Ooh. 
en mi corazón en mi corazón glorificate glorificate see some people know what I'm talking about the rest of y'all like no I didn't I didn't tell them what 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 Know how I know that? Freddie Vargas, my college roommate, sat where he sat. He'd be like, cut off the Hezekiah Walker, put this in real quick, hit you with some glory, ficate. <laughs> feel it. You can't heal what you won't first feel. Jesus had to become us to redeem us. Took off his little cute sparkly deity jacket and put on a hoodie. Said, let me feel what they feel. When's the last time you felt what somebody else is? Some of y'all have never left your city. Never left Texas. <laughs> so no wonder you think the world is Texas. Because you ain't never left Texas. Oh, and you ought to go to another country. You ought to go to another country where you don't know the language. You ought, to, you ought to see how stupid and how small you are when you're in a country and you don't know the language and you're trying to read a menu and you don't know what the streets are. I bet you don't turn up your nose to anybody else in this nation that don't know English. Go to another country where you are completely reliant on other people because you don't know the language. I bet you help the next person that says no hablo español. You helped them. I bet you will. I bet you won't be like, oh my gosh, seriously? I'm trying to preach in here. You gotta feel it. This is what our Savior did for us. He said, I can't redeem them from the stage. I have to put on human skin and feel what they feel. He feels us. He knows us. He sat where we sat. Why did he sit where we sit? Because what, where you sit determines what you see. Oh, come on. Where you sit determines what you see. <laughs> Let me really make a point. You ever been in economy on a plane? Ever been in economy? <laughs> you ever done this walk? You come out of economy, especially international flight. You come out of economy and then you make that walk up into the first class? They got Bose headphones? Is this a cashmere blanket? What is this? They got all kinds of stuff in the first class. You didn't see it, because where you sit? <laughs> Determines what you say. We could be in the same hotel. I'm paying $1.99 a night. You're paying 10 grand a night in the same building. What is the difference? What you see. You got a whole different view. <laughs> it's interesting that in this kingdom, 
it always costs you to upgrade. You want the suite? You got to pay. You want the extra features in the Prius? You got to pay. You want the first class seat? You got to pay. In this kingdom, you pay for an upgrade. I'm trying to comprehend the Savior who paid. for this. There's no metaphors for God becoming man. Who has the penthouse suite and says, I'll pay whatever it costs to be in the basement? Wow. Who has the first class seat and says, put me under the plane and I'll pay for it? This is the incarnation. There are no words to describe what he did when he became us. What do you say about a butterfly who chooses to become a caterpillar again? This is what he did to become us. And even after him doing it, we couldn't see it. He's the unseen savior. He walked among us, but we could not perceive that it was him. I'll never forget hearing this story. Are y'all good? I'll never forget hearing the story of this professional violinist who played at this sold-out symphony. He played Bach on a $3.5 million violin to a sold-out symphony. People paid thousands of dollars to sit in the balcony, in the balcony. And they did a social experiment after he played in the symphony. The next night, the very next night, he went to a busy subway station, regular clothes, opened up the same $3.5 million violin played the same song he played in a sold-out symphony before where they were in tuxes extending their pinkies. <laughs> and four people stopped to listen. He made $3.25. He was one of the greatest piano violin players in the world. But in a busy subway, people busy, Passing by, they couldn't stop to see the majesty that was in front of them because it was unseen. It was seen, but it was unseen. This is what Jesus did on earth. People couldn't tell it was him. You would think that if you walked on earth with Jesus that you would know it was him, right? This always blew my mind. Like this homeboy is walking on water. And three years later, they're like, I don't know if he's the one. I'm, I'm trying to figure out if he. <laughs> he's multiplying fish and bread. And they're still questioning. I, mm, I don't know. I don't know. It's only 5,000 people. I don't know. He could have done more. I... Why are they confused? It's not his deity. It was his humanity. He looked too normal. See, oh, TV has jacked us up. Images have jacked us up. Images of Jesus. Like all the, from the early days. Jesus. Light skin. Blonde hair, blue eyes. 
He's in a Middle Eastern climate, but he's the only one. <laughs> Blonde hair, blue eyes. What? It's messed up. As a matter of fact, let me, oh, let me help some of you. This is the only biblical verse we have, not counting Revelation, that's different, but look at this of what Jesus looked, looked like. Let me put that verse up. Put, uh, put, put the Isaiah verse up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look at, it, look at it. This is your Savior. This is Isaiah prophesying on the appearance of Jesus. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering familiar with our pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. That's what your Savior looked like. That's who, the only person in the history of humanity who actually could have picked his genetics. He said, I'm going to come in average. I'm going to come in regular. Can you, can you could have picked. Some of y'all picking now. <laughs> he could have picked. Six, eight, Zach's height. <laughs> Six pack. He said, no. I want them to see, I want them to see the beauty behind what is average. I want them to see the majesty in the mundane. So I come in the earth regular and he was the unseen savior. Huh? No wonder we couldn't see him. No wonder it takes four gospel writers to give us a full picture of who he was. Because he was unseen. Four gospel writers had to give us different views to show us who he really was. And I mean, you know, four wasn't really enough. Oh, come on. John says the most gangster thing to close out his gospel. He says, what I'm writing to you about Jesus is just some of the things that he did on earth. Because if I wrote everything, the world couldn't contain the books of all the things that Jesus did. Can you imagine of all the miracles in your Bible? That's just a fraction of all the things your Savior did. It took four camera dudes to give us the full picture. It took, oh, there's a camera back there. Matthew. Look at that camera back there up at the top. Wave, Donna. Matthew. He's filming because he is us. And Matthew wants the Jewish people to know that he is Yeshua. He's the fulfillment of what you've been waiting for. And then Mark gets a camera. What up, Mark? And Mark, he's filming for a Roman audience because they are us. And he wants you to know that this Savior moves on your behalf because the Romans had all the Greek gods and all that, and they took armies and they're like, yo, Jesus could take stuff too. Mark don't even talk about baby Jesus. Homeboy skips baby Jesus and goes straight to full grown Jesus to show the Roman audience he had hair on his chest too and smelled like Old Spice too and he would jack you up too. Please don't get it twisted. He was not a soft savior. 
Mark gives us that view. Luke, ooh, where's Luke? I need another camera. What up, Luke? Luke's filming, and he's filming for the Gentiles, for a Greek audience, to let the Greek audience who love the ideal man, to let you know that Jesus was the ideal man, that he was the son of man. And then John, woo, no camera for John. John is writing for the world. He's trying to let you know, for God so loved the world. So Matthew wants you to know what Jesus said. Mark wants you to know what Jesus did. Luke wants you to know how Jesus felt. And John wants you to know who Jesus is. Who is he? He's us. He is the word made flesh and dwelling among us. He had to become us in order to redeem us. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld the wonder of his glory, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Worship team, join me. What have I been trying to say in this series? Been trying to get you to understand. Really trying to get you to feel that all the people that you love to keep your distance from and the people you love to castigate and criticize because you think they're so different than you, they are us. You've got to feel that. And as long as we keep our distance from people, it's easy because distance always distorts. And it's easy to talk about people who you stay away from. But if you ever come in close, you'll see what is unseen. That we have more in common than we do apart. They are us. And this is so true that we have a Savior who said, if I'm going to redeem them, I must become them. Feel what they feel. Jesus, give us a church that will feel what other people feel. Who will realize they are us. There's a powerful book called Us Versus Us. And it's the story of a man who started a project because he was trying to figure out what is this issue between the church and the LGBT community. And so the author of this book moved into Boys Town, Chicago, because he wanted to be around that community just to feel what they feel. He came to ask questions, to sit, to learn, not to preach a sermon, to learn. And as he interviewed different people within the LGBT community, he found out something that was alarming. 86% of them grew up in church. 86%. Like, we have all these notions, right, of people like, oh, it's them, they. No. It's us. They all went to church. I'm talking about from the time they were born to 18. And they all love Jesus. Still, 
is what he found out. They don't want to come to church because nobody would feel what they feel. Nobody would sit where they sat. Put your scriptures away if you won't sit where somebody else sits. Stop saying you represent Jesus if you won't feel first what somebody feels. He just sat where they sat. God is calling this church, can't speak for other people's churches, to do what our Savior did. To not try to redeem people from a lofty stage, but to come down to walk around buildings, change bougie outfits, <laughs> and just sit where people sit. Thank God for a Savior who became us to redeem us. Thank God for a Savior who became sin to redeem us. That same Savior is available for you today. Jesus, the greatest us. I don't know if you've ever experienced this where going through a difficult season and somebody says, how are you? And you move past the plastic courtesy and nicety of saying, I'm good. But you actually open up. And you tell them, how you doing? It's like, oh, you ain't going to get no God is good today. Let me really tell you. I don't know if you've ever experienced telling somebody how you really felt. And then to listen and say, oh, I, I feel you. I feel you. But inwardly, you're rolling your eyes because you know you don't feel me. You don't feel me. I came to tell you tonight, you can never say that about Jesus. He felt what you felt. In every other religion, you have to come to that God to appease that God. Christianity is the only religion where God came down to man. He became us. So you can never say he doesn't feel you. He knows what it's like to be rejected. He knows what it's like to be overlooked. He knows what it's like to be the son of the living God and have people walk past you and not see who you really are. He knows what it's like to be betrayed by the ones that you thought you could lean on. This beautiful Savior, He is us. We would like to thank you for being a part of our social global family. Please head to our website, socialdallas.online, and see the many ways you can stay connected with us from around the world. Remember, when you say yes to Jesus, you say yes to being social.